0: Hello and welcome to the first of three very special episodes of George Ezra and Friends. Uh, My name is George Ezra, I will be your host and this is George Ezra and Friends starting out. So if you haven't come across the podcast before we've got a back catalogue of 24 episodes you can dip into at your own leisure but I've learned so much throughout those conversations with 24 incredible musicians and artists that now felt like a good time to share some of that with you all in a handy compilation style. So what we've done is compiled stories and tales or tips and tricks of the same subject into three separate episodes. Just a heads up, there might be some swearing in this episode, but... Um, But there you go. I've let you know. I don't know what you can do with that information. There might just be some swearing. Now, to start things off, what I'd like to start by saying, naturally, is I know that One Direction didn't exactly have the typical start in music. You know, bam, worldwide fame straight away, you know? And that's a bizarre and scary thing to get your head around, I imagine. But the point of this episode, I hope, is showing that there is no... You know, one guaranteed route to success, and of course, success will be measured differently by by each of us. Aside from loving what you do, and being determined to keep going, you know, there's there's a, there's a whole lot more that goes into that word success, isn't there? And I found all of these tales inspiring, which is why I wanted to start with Niall Horan, who's had two starts in music from One D you know and his time in the band and then of course uh, uh, when he went solo and um, you know that's two experiences yeah I, I love talking to Niall about both of those parts of his life so here you go this is Niall
1: Horan on starting out. So X Factor finishes mid-December I'd say and this first single What Makes You Beautiful came out Next September, if I'm not mistaken. So in that gap in there, pretty soon after, kind of like off to Sweden and you know, right with make relationships with guys and stuff like that. And at the time, as you say, you're like a deer in the headlights. Mm -hmm. Especially us, we were 16 to 19 or so, and we were basically famous the minute your audition came out on TV because you're being watched by. I think that season did quite well, and we were averaging about like fifteen million people a weekend. So like, your whole world is just like you've yeah. gone from like my dad always says, "I went to my audition, and never came back." You know, like in as his phrase, because I did basically. I went to my audition, came home, packed my bag, and moved to London, and, and then in that situation,
0: since. you have to just go with the flow. Yeah, just keep saying yes, yeah, see what happens. You yeah, know, go with it, because otherwise, the story is your. You're the kid that could have done something. Yeah, you're the exactly. kid that, like, oh, I almost did this, mm. and that story's just not as interesting. No, it's, <laughs> you know? it's, it's, like, not. it's that. when you're you're with mates or whatever, and it's kind of, like, oh, I nearly did this the other day. It's like, yeah, but imagine if you'd done it. You
1: <laughs> know? It's so true. But you just got, yeah, you just have to go with it. and you just you don't say no though because mm. you're 16 years old mm. when you're given opportunities like that and you're on national TV and the world is watching you don't care, you're just having a lot of fun. And I think that is what made people like One Direction in the first place, Was where people were like, there are literally just five normal lads who can sing and look like they're having a bit of a laugh. But I think that's shone through. I, think, yeah. I
0: don't think there was ever a point where the thing that I don't like in music, and this is just my personal thing, I don't like it when someone takes themselves so seriously yeah. that they can't just have a smile, have a laugh about themselves, yeah. and understand that, it's just music. Yeah. Like, and I love it. I'm saying that as someone that loves it. Exactly. but just yeah. And I think that's shone through from the band. I think something as well that I got from the that particular tour DVD, my band has grown for this second album. Mm. And with the more people on stage, my performance has grown. Oh, like, yeah. And I'm more confident. Fact. You were on stage with five, four of your mm. friends. Mm. And your performance in that is like you've been doing it since you were... Twelve or something. Exactly. But that, how does that happen? Because you weren't.
1: You look, you look left and right. We had enough time to get to know each other. So it was literally like being in the X Factor house. We were living in the same room. Okay, I didn't realize. All five you. of so us, just... two sets of bunk beds in a single bed, and we were in there with each other for ten weeks. We scrapped like teenagers. You know, we we did ever. It was like being at school, but we were just happened to go on national TV on Saturday night. It was mm-hmm. it was a bit strange, but um, we got on really well. And and then the rest of it just comes, just comes easy. And then when you look left and right on stage, you know that you're with your mates and you're singing your songs. Yeah, and, and it's got- the same what what you're doing with your band. I, I find it now. I was really nervous when I was doing my first promotion for this town, the single when it came out, because I was standing there and I would at the time I didn't have a band, and I was basically playing for three minutes. Yeah, literally, I was doing like Graham Norton and just standing there with my guitar. And I remember it was the first time that I'd ever performed without the boys. And I, they were like, yeah, you can come out now, you know, when they're on the interview set, and then they bring you over. And I was like, oh, right, this is happening now. <laughs> yeah. Standing there with the acoustic guitar in my hand going, here we go. Yeah, yeah, And then after a while, get a band, and then because we're all in playing the same stuff all the time, it bring, as you say, it brings out the yeah. best in your performance and makes the song better.
0: You, it gives you a confidence, and not in a kind of like cartwheels on stage confidence, but <laughs> yeah. you know that you've got, Your friend's behind you. That's how I feel. It kind of feels... Every time that you get on stage to perform live, something could go wrong. That's what I... In my head, it's kind of... In fact, most nights, something little does go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I heard about? And I don't know if this is true, but Jack White from the White Stripes, he would deliberately leave his plectrums on an amp on the other side of the stage and then get up to the mic and go, oh, I'm really sorry, I forgot my plectrums. And he did it on purpose so that the whole audience were like... (laughs) Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's made a mistake, <laughs> which I really like. That is brilliant. Isn't
1: incredible.
0: it? Yeah. I love that story and confidence in your abilities and making it work for you early on is exactly what this gentleman did. This is Craig David and uh, that's what he has to share now.
2: I did have a friend called DJ Flash, or I still have a friend called DJ Flash, who definitely put me on like i used to go to one of his nights at my dad's um local community center that he used to perform at and he said to me like i used to run up on the mic and just grab it and just vibe and i knew he couldn't really say too much because my dad was like one of the chairmen of the of the club paying his wages so he had to kind of be cool with me so it was a beautiful inn
0: he had to entertain it yeah, just- ah,
2: but then he, but then actually i think he was like you know what you do, you're doing all right you're like you're 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 good at this MCing thing so he sort of took me under his wing And he was 25 years old I was 15 So he was like a chaperone for me And that, that was how I got into the scene He he let me do a little I was emceeing for him But then I would had this little thing And I've said to him a few times And he said I didn't know that that was what you used to this do This is Flash This is DJ Flash yeah. yeah I used to say Oh look I think that girl's checking you out over there You need to like she'd been looking at you all night. It's really, really, yeah. So then he goes, oh, okay, Craig. Craig, just play for like a little 15 minutes or something. Let me go over and do it. I go, yeah, cool, that white man. You go, go do your thing, but do it now, man, because you might go. He's gone off into the crowd now. Good 15, 20 minutes, yeah. I'm having the time of my life mixing and DJing, yeah. And then he comes back. He's like, oh, bro, like she wasn't into it. I was like, I, I don't know what happened there, man. I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe you just took it too long. She thought you were playing too hard to get. And, and that's how I got my...
0: You got to spin, like, three spin tunes in that tunes time. in a
2: proper big club... Amazing. ...where he was a resident. And that got me the confidence to say, you know, I can do it myself. And then it led to me doing my own residencies.
0: There's also that beautiful thing of... So much amazing music comes from kids because there's no fear. They don't know what's right and what's mm, wrong. Yeah. They're just giving it a go. Of course. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's going back to... I think you have to really, like,
2: embrace your, like the little you, the kid inside of you all of the time, even when you get to an adult stage where you, you sort of, you, you think that you know the world and you know what 's going on but you you start to realize the things that really resonated with you that made you happy were the basic simple things it 's like uncontrollable laughter with someone you can 't you could can 't even put a price on that like that feeling is just like you just can 't even have even thinking about it I could tell you you're <laughs> smiling you, know? it's like you, you start to well. think of something it's just that <laughs> it makes you remember a moment you're just like wow that 's a good feeling and i I yearn for those moments I yearn for that going on stage and feeling like the upliftment in things, you know what I mean? So it's very basic things that I'm very happy with, I you know? Yeah.
0: And then you from that yeah. something has to happen at some point that then means that you're catapulted into this whirlwind of mm. success. W- with music that you're putting out and projects that you're involved in and no one can really prepare you for that when it happens it's not no. like you know you study maths english and yeah. having a hit single <laughs> that's not yeah. a thing course, course. so how did you find that transition of when did you notice things to start started picking up um
2: when i met mark hill um and pete Devro from the artful dodger who were playing in the same club that i was djing in they were playing like a house and garage sit upstairs i was doing the r&b hip-hop floor and we just we both i mean it was like serendipity moment sort of where we both met and i was always needing like some the music to be able to accompany these lyrics and melodies i was putting down he was looking for like a top line writer and someone to put to sing over the instrumentals he was making it was almost like we marriage made in heaven and then it was like but where's the studio oh it's five minutes around the corner from where we both are living so i was like this is a dream so once that happened and then what you're going to do was the first song with with them with the alpha dodger and then we had a song called something and both these songs were like bubbling but what you're going to do got a little interest in london so i went up into a couple of pas for the first time get my mate in his yellow fiesta Uh, for
0: listeners what is a pa a pa so a public
2: performance so it was was a performance of the song usually at this time in a club you go up there do one two songs in the night and then you either stay up there or head back home so I'd go up in my mate's little Yellow Fiesta, we'd play a couple of tunes on the way up, get hyped, go up there, do the show, and then he'd drive back, I'd give him some petrol money and we were good to go. But what I saw started to happen was when we released Rewind. Something different was happening when I was doing these performances. I was looking into the crowd and I could see everyone was so up for it, especially all the way up until it got to the chorus, and then they didn't know what quite to do because it went to this sort of halftime drop where the bass line was sort of taking over and it wasn't this kind of two-step uh, drum pattern which was giving you the feel that it was like a bit of a dance tune it almost went like half time like it was a slow jam um so for anyone listening at home so you've got the, four, the 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 two-step skippy part would have been like that. and then the half time at the same tempo but it just went so it's half time so you kind of so at that point people were thinking well you're supposed to go up in the chorus and it was like, and I had a lot of things, I was thinking, is this connecting or not? Cause I'm looking at the crowd and they're like, not sure what to do. And then it ended up taking its own life and rewind turned into uh, something that I, I, I mean, I could never have dreamt that it would be as big as it did. I mean, I didn't have a radio plugger who's someone who would go into a radio station and try and get a song played. The ra- radio, people calling up the radio stations so much, the commercial radio stations, and then the big stations saying, what, can you play this rewind? Can you play this rewind? Because I was hearing on pirate radio stations, they were going crazy for it. But like, to the point where it got added, with nobody walking in there with a record, I was just like, this doesn't happen. I've never like these kind of things are so special. Good. Ah, and then it it changed my life. That was was never ready for, but I think the age I was at, seventeen years old, I was. You, you, you go on the wave and you're just like you don't question it yeah you just go do you know what I mean you're just thinking if you can handle living on a council estate for most of your life and kind of on the hustle wow I can handle this what are we going, what, are we going to a different country to perform yep I'm on the plane yeah, yeah, let's yeah. go is that of back so.
0: 17 uh, I love hearing what it was that drew people into music in the first place um, and I'm a little bit envious at the incredibly talented bunch of people that Jesse Ware just happened to go to school with I mean come on when did you first start falling in love with music? And...
3: I was always really into, like, the divas. And my mum always had, like, tapes uh, so, of Whitney Houston. And so I remember just, like, loving a big vocal and, like, a good voice. And I remember that, like, my... I always... I loved stars in their eyes. And I used to think that Show Me Heaven by Maria McKee was going to be my stars. You know that? Um, it's from uh, Days of Thunder, I think, the Tom Cruise <laughs> film. Um and it's like show me heaven cover me and i mean yeah um ambitious even though i was just not confident with singing but how old were you at i period? was like oh i was like eight okay but nice. it wasn't like i was ever going to do it i was like mm. so i kind of fell in love with i guess when i kind of really fell in love with music when i was kind of introduced to kind of r&b and like there was there were people like Lauren Hill. Nice. I loved Fugees. That was kind of when I was in year six. I was like 10, 11. I remember Killing Me Softly being like the school disco song. And then Lauren Hill obviously did Miseducation, which was a phenomenal album. Yeah. And, and then also I became completely obsessed with like jazz singers, but like kind of the ones that were doing the jazz standards. So it was first, I think my mum had an Ella Fitzgerald tape that was. Um, Ella Fitzgerald singing Cole Porter, okay, and so it had like um, "Love for Sale" on it. It had um, uh, what else did it have? It had "Under My Skin," I think, and um, "The Lady's a Tramp." And so I loved that uh, her, and I just thought it was such great storytelling. And then I kind of went into Frank Sinatra, and then my my ultimate jazz singer as billy holiday but i kind of discovered her later okay and so i started singing that stuff
0: did you have friends that were into that as well
3: no i think it was just kind of well it wasn't that they weren't into it but i went to a school that in south london called allanes which weirdly became quite a hub for emerging music because there was so in my year jack Pignate. do you remember jack pinate he's bringing new music out finally so Jack's one of my bestest friends, and then Felix White was at the school too, and obviously he's from the Maccabees, and Flo, Flo was the year below. No way, so you all went to the same school. But it wasn't a performing arts no, school, no, 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 and no, no. none of them were involved with the music there. I remember Jack and Fee doing Oasis in the talent show as, like, a bit of a joke and, like, having fun, and, like, Fee had Go. the Parker on being the Gallagher, <laughs> and it was amazing. But they weren't kind of... We, they weren't, you know the bright sparks in the music school. I used to have classes, um, singing lessons, but yeah.
0: But I wonder, see, this is what I mean about growing up in a city, because Mm. there is more culture in cities, and therefore Mm. you're more likely to have, I don't know, parents that allow that kind of thing. I don't know. There was definitely interest in mm. my school in music, Mm. but there wasn't half of the Maccabees, Jack Pinate and Florence (laughs) and the Machine. Uh, I just think that's an amazing thing. So you grew up in Clapham. Yeah. So... You know, instantly, which in my is where head.
3: you made your record. first and
0: second record, well, yeah, yeah.
3: Which nobody makes music in Clapham,
0: I don't think, so that's I amazing, know. yeah. Yeah, I, do, I think it's just Cam, the producer, he's got his place set up down there. And I love of, it, yeah, it's brilliant. And I get like while I'm there, I'll get an Airbnb for the whole time that I'm there. But then the difference is you then have Brixton Academy on yes, your doorstep, yes, and you've got the electric on your doorstep, yes. and that's normal.
3: Well, the electric wasn't the electric, it was the fridge, which okay. was a big dance place so I never went to the fridge it was like hardcore dance it I think it was quite housey I'm not sure but yeah Brixton was really important to like my musical and live education because like it had one of the biggest drum and bass nights which I was really into drum and bass when I was kind of a teenager from about 16 and they had this night called Movement in St Mark's Church which is opposite Brixton Electric. Nice it's like and kind so of, that's with friends? That was with friends um and my my husband was a drum-based DJ. We used to go to a night in Streatham High Road, and, and it was also on Wandsworth Road. Like, So it was very local.
0: So you say you you went to school with Jack Pinnati. Yeah, I went to, yeah, I went you, to school. Did, you joined him on tour?
3: Yeah, so jo- Jack's kind of the reason that I'm doing this at, on my own, because I, you know, people knew that I could sing at school, and I I sung, but I wasn't... I wasn't like Flo, who was already in a band at the age of like fifteen, and she was like playing at Arts... Like you know, I used to see her play at Corsica, yeah. um in Elephant and Castle, like on a Friday night with her band, and it was. It, she was she was working like yeah. she was doing it. It wasn't just like a yeah, teenage band. It was band, she knew. She that was, it was, was, it was like getting on with it. It was this band called Ashok, and. She had such confidence and like self belief, and I was just kind of like, oh yeah, no, I sing. I like singing jazz standards, and uh, <laughs> and then Jack just asked me to do a session for Zane Lowe at Madavell Studios, such a off work. And then I just um, sung with him, and then he kind of kept some, and that album. It was his second album. Paul Ettsworth had done it, and it had lots of kind of BVs and like this sense of kind of togetherness and,
0: and kind of... I remember it, the second one. It was a like massive today's carnival tonight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So,
3: like, having vocals really helped. And so... And it was all my best mates, so... But did you
0: end up touring with him? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Across the UK? Did so... Started with the festivals, kind of kept on getting asked back. Then, um... Did an American tour. No way! Um, but, like, he said, I can't pay you. Um, I... It's going to be a splitter van. It was sharing, head, co-headline with Mike Snow. He's like, I can't pay you. It's like, you know, you are just but going to be I can there. I get you over there. You're going to you get a visa, exactly. And I was like, I don't need to get paid. Kids it's are like, the best experience ever.
0: I get, like
4: Kids these days!
0: No, but do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like... That's the whole, the drive of kids is like you bite your hand off for an opportunity. It doesn't matter if you, yeah. you, you'd probably pay him for the opportunity. Like, yeah, I'll Honestly,
3: come I, I was sharing a bed with the bassist, who yeah. was my mate, Joel, and we were in the most disgusting motels. <laughs> yeah, Red Roof It was worse, babe. It was absolutely disgusting. Um, but it was the best month of my life.
0: That early ambition, it's a precious thing, I think, and can be fragile too. Is that like the blind faith of, I I recognise it in myself of just being younger and not questioning things as much. Yeah, I definitely feel that. Yeah, so take heed of this cautionary tale from Lily Allen.
5: There was a moment when um, I was in uh, uh, Cramer College Trying to do my GCSEs, which I ended up not doing. Um, but my head teacher there um, expelled me, and as I was leaving, she said, "You know, what are you going to do?" And I was just panicked because I I didn't know mm. what I wanted to do in my life. You know, she was like, and I just said, "You know, I, gu- I guess it was a process process of elimination because I was just like, well, what what am I good at?" You know, and I just thought, oh. So I just sort of said, well, I'm going to be a singer. And that was the first time that I'd ever... Like, How old would you have been then? 15, 14, 15. And when
0: you said that, do you think you'd consider that to be realistic or do you think it was, like, kind of a comeback to that no, it No, it
5: was a bit of a comeback, but it was also just, like, logical. Because it was like, well, I'm only 14, like, why would I have that figured out yet? But, you know, I, I had to say something, but I didn't really... Have anything that I thought I would be able to make a living out of at that point, except for maybe singing, because that was the only thing that I was good at, or seemed to excel at. So yeah, I just I said that, and she said, "Well, if it hasn't happened already, then it's probably not going to happen, dear." Fourteen.
6: It's not on, mate. <laughs> up, is it?
5: Um, anyway, I thanked her in the sleeve notes of my first album. <laughs> <Come here.
0: laughs> Fourteen is not too old. Never. Turned out all right in the end. There's another clip from Lily Allen that I'm going to play now. Here you go.
5: I signed a deal when I was 19 for 25 grand for five albums. Um, I'm still in that deal. And, you know, if I'd have thought that it was going to go where it went, I would have asked for a lot more fucking money. <laughs> Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I wouldn't... Like, the fact that I accepted that deal tells you where I sort of saw myself going, which is where I've, I kind of thought that I'd be some, somewhere, like, in that Thames Beat vibe, you know, like and Love and yeah, yeah. Jamie T. And, like, I kind of thought that's where I would sit. And the the sort of stratospheric, like, success that happened, like, almost overnight was totally unexpected and really overwhelming. But, you know, everyone around me was like, wow, this is great, everyone loves you, you know, and everyone was just coining it and making so much money and... um I never really like got a minute to go like do I like this is this nice because everyone was saying this is great mm. I've never really been able to articulate what it is that I want okay, see, So, so that everyone plays else into going it. around me this is brilliant isn't it my character is just like yeah yeah yeah, yeah of course yeah. It's if brilliant. you say so yeah. then of
0: course <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> but there is that like I was the same I signed when I was nineteen and I didn't even look at the figure I, I just mm. remember people saying do you want to record music and perform mm. and I was like yes yeah. where like, do I I, sign? you know I haven't thought of it, it through mm. I think, you know I like to prescribe to the notion. That it's never too late to follow that dream, you know. I, th- I think, I think, I think that. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. Give me some time to figure that one out, listener, please. I think, especially now. I think this year, all of us. So I'm recording this in 2020, and it's been a it's been a year for sure. Having said that, though, there are always those who have that special something pretty early on, you know, and that gets recognised and picked up by people. Um, So, take my hand, let's time travel. We're going to go back in time with Lewis Capaldi, um, who caught the singing and performing bug when he was still at primary school. Hold tight, here we go. So I started playing when I was like, mm, I started playing
7: guitar when I was nine. My first gig was when I was 11. But I was like, yeah, it was like pubs. My brother used to be in bands and stuff growing up. He was more into, like, like Slipknot and, like, Foo Fighters, like, hit, the rock bands, you know what I mean? Or whatever, Slipknot, maybe a metal band, I don't know. There's too many subsects. of <laughs> fucking, But, um so he was into all that, and, and he was, like, he used to be in these bands and play these shows, and it was a case of him just being, like, to the promoters that he knew. By the way, I've got I've got a brother, he's a singer, do you mind sticking him on? completely leaving out the fact that I was 11. I mean, <laughs> that a, a pube hadn't sprouted on my body yet. But, um, <laughs> so he said, um, so he used to do that. And then this guy called Ross Coots, who I'm still friends with to this day, he, he was like, the first person to give me a gig and stuff. And like, forego the, the, you know, the no pubes thing. <laughs> and, uh, and it was mad. Yeah. So from 11, I used to like sneak into these places, hide in the bathrooms, come out, play a set. It's like, I, I found if you got on stage, you were good. Like, do you know what I mean? If you got up on so stage... If you
0: got on stage without them questioning it, it was yeah. almost too late for them to yeah, kick exactly. you out. Yeah,
7: exactly. So they would let you play the set and then they'd fuck you out. But, like, it was... Yeah, so like I used to run in, toilet, sit there for a bit, come out, play the show, get kicked out. And then there was, like, there was an where I took my mum and dad... And they blew my cover and all this. It was, it was like a proper, like, stealth gigging. It sure. sounds for, like
0: it would be a good board game, like yeah. getting loose to the gig. <laughs> exactly, yeah, could, yeah. Could make it the gig? Yeah. you have yeah. nailed it.
7: <laughs> on an app or something like that. You, yeah, you know. landed
0: on the parents' square, like, yeah. oh, oh I I it it. <laughs>
7: <laughs> but, um, but, you know, man, it was like, so it was just a very, it was like, it was like fun. See, looking yeah. back on it now, I'm like, I'm so glad I did it. Because, like, when I went to college, I went to college to do music for two years. And when I went, I'd never realised how valuable that time doing that was, because it's like, I went to to college, all all these amazing singers, guitar players, drummers, bassists, whatever it is, but none of them had played live. I found it so weird that none of these people had went, Okay, I've got this thing that I like to do, I'm going to do it live. I think maybe they just didn't have the avenue, so I kind of only realised when I was like 18, when I met all these people like how lucky I was to have that sort of apprenticeship if you will oh
0: man you can't put a price on it Mm. and I think a big part of it comes from oh I certainly felt that you know those people that you're talking about not performing live Mm. I'm sure a lot of them just didn't know how to are you supposed to be invited along is it something you get a letter through the door saying it's time yeah 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 yeah. like Hogwarts yeah yeah (laughs) and I really felt that especially about songwriting Mm. I thought that I don't and this sounds really stupid to me now to say this but I really thought that someone had to tap me on the shoulder and be like, it's time, mate, you yeah. can write songs. Yeah,
7: well, that's you the secrets to yeah. it, mate. Yeah, 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 totally.
0: And it, it really did feel like this dawn. And then the truth is, there's no rhyme or reason. And nobody working in the industry that knows what the rhyme or, you know, that, totally. that knows what the rules are. Otherwise, it would be easy. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not easy. Absolutely. But, you know, I'm not saying for us, I'm saying for, yeah, well, for, for anybody, people. yeah.
7: But that's what i like, that's what I find is kind of interesting now where people, like, from back home, who are in bands and stuff, ask me for advice. And I'm, I, I've am i got no fucking clue what I'm doing. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? I, like, I've actually... I don't know how I've ended up in this position. It's happened. Like, I, I, lo- I love playing music. I've played music and written songs for a very long time. But in terms of, like, how to break through, I don't have a fucking clue. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I feel like everyone's kind of... Especially now, now more than ever, everyone's kind of just a bit like, well, fuck it, we'll just try all this different stuff and just My- try it, and we'll see what works, do you know what I mean? You start playing shows... Mm-hmm.
0: What age would you have been when you started traveling to Edinburgh, or Glasgow for shows? I love it. I mean, my first
7: my first show. Oh, no was, way. Yeah, my first show was in Edinburgh, so it was like I, I remember. I don't know if you remember Orange, that Orange Inside Act thing that was. It was on Channel Four.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
7: and like this guy Tommy Riley won it,
0: right.
7: um, who ended up being a tutor at my college. Like it was such a weird thing. I supported him as my first gig, and he think he's fucking brilliant. But um, that was my first gig. Was doing a, it was an all day festival thing. Called SOS Fest and the GRV in Edinburgh, which is now called the Mash House, and uh, yeah, I went on first and, and like on the wee acoustic stage. No one was really there, but again, this guy Ross Coots, just went be- right before the headliner Tommy went on. It was like he saw I was still there and was like, "The of was taking longer than expected. Do you want to jump on?" So a full room, like, "Do you want to jump on and sing like two or three songs while it's happening?" So for me, it's like a 11-year-old that was like next level oh, I mean? mate. and I remember doing there's a video online actually of me singing Rewind my pal on a tune
0: oh and you I say, used to sing that yeah yes, I t-
7: what a tune t- but like fucking like it's, and you can see I think the moment where like the pin drops of me being like because my face everyone's singing along so I did one of my songs and I did the other pal on a tune and everyone starts singing along the Rewind at the chorus and I remember just being like you could, like, literally, if you it watch the video...
0: Grant my last request. No, that's, that's the last request. Oh, okay. <laughs>
7: yeah. Rewind it. <laughs> no sleeping just, at night. Yeah. yeah, can't we just rewind, yeah. But you can see the moment with the pin drops of me going, like... um like I'm
0: gonna do this. Sorry, sorry. I just sang. Was in this song? Was it Hey, I Got My New Shoes On? No, I'm you know that Beatles
7: song, on. Let It Be, the one that goes Hey Jude. Yeah, <laughs> but um, sorry, no, <laughs> that's that. not good to win. But um, but yeah, you can see like the moment where the pin drops and me being like, I'm fucking pursuing this because my face just like lights up. It's like, and yes, I mean, it looks like it was filmed in a fucking toaster the video. Yeah. But if you go back now, it's on YouTube. You can find it, and it, you can. It's like you get the exact moment that I just go. I'm fucking, I'm having some of that shit, you know what I mean?
0: You're listening to George Ezra and Friends starting out, and someone who exemplifies hard work and determination from the get-go is, absolutely, is Ed Sheeran.
8: My mum was always, like, really worried that I wasn't going to university and getting a a higher degree, and she enlisted me in uh, the Academy of Contemporary Music in Guildford, which I I went to for, like, a couple of weeks. And I remember one of the first lessons there, I was learning a Queen's song. And I was like, but well, I don't want to play a Queen song, I wanna play my songs. Like what, like and it was uh soon after I joined that the the reason I left, I mean, god God bless them, they are they are a good place for it is a good place to focus people in, but it just wasn't for me. I got asked on a Just Jack support tour and I had to take a month off university and I remember saying uh I've actually never spoken about this and I don't wanna like put them in hot hot water, but I remember saying, like, can I go on this tour? And they were like, Well not, not really, like, your place is probably gonna be filled by the time you get back, and I was like, Well, Surely, the end goal is to be a support act on tour. So surely, like if you're going to a musical thing, you should be. So I, so I, I, I ended up leaving there and then going on this tour. But like, yeah, it's it's the same thing. Like, I do think if you know what you want to do, you might as well just do it. Just do it, yeah.
0: But that, like, a, a support tour with Just Jack doesn't come out of completely out of thin air. No. So you, you must have, even when you were there to, committing to studying, you must have been gigging relentlessly then even.
8: Well, well I, I was only there for a couple of weeks, really. Like, it was... Uh, so when I moved to London, I lived... Uh, there was a venue that ran gigs, and I lived above it, and it was called T-Birds in at Finsbury Park on Blackstock Road. And the guy that ran the gigs was this guy, Lester. Um, and Lester was the guy that eventually put me in touch with Just Jack. He knew Jack quite, quite well. Um, but, yeah, there was a website called Music Born, uh, that my mate ran and he had a list of every single open mic night in London so when I got did you ever use that? Well,
0: I used one in Bristol and yeah. it was kind of like a uh, yellow pages for yeah. open and you mics. just
8: sent a message to every single one
0: a- so, every night of the week it was just like and was, what I used to find was a lot of them no longer existed so you'd ring and be like Oh <laughs> you've got an open mic tonight and they'd be like no, no we no. haven't done that for three years and it's like shit ok <laughs> ring the next one have you got an open mic tonight yeah,
8: yes that's great Yeah, no man yeah and it really it, it really worked because like oh also, like some some of the nights had like multiple nights on the night. So in Finsbury Park, there was one at the World's End, one at T Bird's, and then one a little bit further down in Angel on a Thursday night. So you'd go on a Thursday, play at six, play at eight, and play at ten, and you'd you'd done three gigs. Yeah, it was uh, so it was like four years of doing that, and um, you know it was super super fun, and the people at People that I was playing with were, would always put me up at their, at their at their places. So I never really, like, I get asked a lot, how did you afford it? And I never really had to afford anything because I got free, free drink and free food from the places I was playing. And then I got free bed and board by the promoters that I was playing for. So it was actually like, I had a kind of heated discussion with an interviewer the other day that uh, was talking about... Um, sort of like people who get into music who come from like wealthy backgrounds. Mm. And he was like, oh, obviously because you lived in London for a long time. And I was like, no, but like you can actually do it without coming from a wealthy background. You there's also
0: just... the drive of an adolescent of just like, you don't give a shit if you're sleeping on a sofa or if you're in. Or eating. if you don't shower for a yeah, week. It, like you don't it's care. not like, yeah. And if you're, there's nothing more appealing. If you love music. Doing nothing, shows, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. The, the first time you you figure out you can just get up and play shows, it's like, oh you my. You just want to do it yeah. the whole time. So that was how Ed started out. Um, And here we go, we're gonna do a jump. We're gonna go from Ed Sheeran to Elton John.
4: I never was going to be a performer, I mean I was an organ player with my band um, and I sang a couple of songs and I was the lead singer on our, and wrote the first two Bluesology singles but we had another singer called Stuart Brown who was the main singer when I left the band to become a songwriter that's, I didn't env- envisage being an artist I thought I'm gonna just write songs for other people and I met Bernie and you know the first couple of years we were told to write songs for the Hollies and Zillablack and we were hopeless at it because we weren't that kind of writers and then we were writing the songs that we liked and leaving them to the side and, and, and a, a lovely man called Steve Brown joined Dick James Music heard the songs that we were writing for ourselves and said forget this other crap you're useless out it and we were and we hated it um, but we, it gets us that 15 quid a week from the publishers so I had to, in those days I made the first album Empty Sky and then in, in those days you had to get a go on the road and promote it. So I got a band together, Nigel Olsen on drums, d on bass, and started doing shows. I was kind of, it all happened accidentally. I never wanted to be set out to be Elton John humongous star. Um, you know, in the early days I was still Reg. I didn't change my name till about 1972, legally to Elton John. It was an incredible psychological thing changing my name from Reg, which I hated to Elton, which I love because I just hated Reggie. It's such a shitty name. Sorry, all Reggie's out there, but <laughs> it's shit. Um, and, and when I became Elton, that was it. Did, did it feel like putting on a yeah, Super- like, like being Superman. Okay. No, it was like, the cape came on and wow. And of course, when the cape came off and I came off stage, it was difficult because I was still red, basically, um, so I had all those years of being famous and so quickly and working so hard and loving it all and then realising that whew, I've spent the last five years doing everything except having a life um, and it caught up with me but I survived it because I kept working and I kept making records. Yeah,
0: I've, uh, in The closest thing I can relate it to is this, the kind of fallow time between my first record and this one. I just hated not having something to do in no. in I've missed well,
4: momentum is everything, yeah. And and
0: having a purpose and having a reason
4: to... Because, you know, in the early days, we made the Elton John record, which was our second album, and your song became a hit in America before it came a hit in England, and I became kind of an overnight sensation in America uh, by playing at the Troubadour Club. But I still had to work for two years playing second on the bill, thank God, to people like Eric Clapton and the Kinks and Leon Russell to earn my corn, because America is an avar... You can be popular in New York and Chicago and L.A., But you know the midwest you can be you know you have to earn your corn there so i did that but we you know it was relentless not only were there out i think 17 albums in about eight years separate singles different b-sides touring interviews but it was because radio was so quick changing records it 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 made the whole process seem much faster Mm -hmm. it was like now it's Mm slow-mo and now you know it was like we were we were kids in a candy store we loved it i was playing with people that i loved i was meeting people that i couldn't believe i was meeting people were recording our songs. i was having a great time um and of course it was music and i loved it and america was where all the great music that i love came from um, and the momentum that you're talking about the downtime between this and the is it because you they didn't want you to write an album? No, or?
0: not at all. I really struggled writing on tour. I d- yeah. I just Everything was so new to me right. that I was just like, keep your head down and focus on promoting this record mm. and touring mm. this record. And then, I kind of, I don't know what it was. I think I need to be on the move to be creative, so I need to right. be seeing new things, meeting new people, but instead right. I went home and was sat there, yeah. and so nothing was coming creatively. Right and you start to beat yourself up about it.
4: Well, in the, in the days when I was, you go out to a club, or you go to the speakeasy and you meet other artists, and it was a social scene as well, and it was exciting. And that kind of gone by the ball, and the pe- ki- there's no club where artists go to. In my days, there was speakeasy, Scotchers and James, and people like that, and you, you went out there and, and you mixed with other artists, and it was exciting, or um, Freddie Mercury and I used to go to um, a club called Mountberries in, um, God, where is it? German Street. And had a blast and we would mix together and meet other people. So that kind of social thing's gone now. People tend to be a bit more singular and isolated, um, which is a shame because I think when artists come together, especially musicians, mm. there's a common bond.
6: Mm.
4: I really do think that. I mean, whenever I meet these musicians like Ed or Sam or, or anyone young, um, we have this common bond and it's, it's never changed for me and it's, it's great. The musicians are so easy to talk mm. to. Actors are a little bit more well, They never know who they are because they're doing something different every time And I'm not decrying what they do, but there's a thing when you walk in a room with a bunch of musicians like this band last night Greta Van Fleet, they're 20 years old and, and and but I have a bond with them because I, I'm a musician and it's you know It was easy to, to cut through the eyes, and I think the social side of, of that has gone a bit and that's a shame
0: Oh man I know, I know, we are all missing performing live, we are, but then that's just my experience, anyone listening to this, there'll be something that you're missing this year, I I get that, and on that note, I hope you're all doing well, and looking after yourselves and each other as best as you can, Um, yeah, I wanted to show in this episode that not everyone knows they want to perform, you know, or how to do it even it takes time it does and it takes each performance is just informing the next and there's no last performance really you know and if you're naturally shy which i think a lot of musicians are i think like even the best performers i think they're naturally shy in, in person they just work on it you work to overcome that not that you'd necessarily know from what a presence rag and bone Man has on stage now but, you know, listen to this, listen to this.
6: When I, when I was, like, 16, 17, I went to this, um like, charity shop type place, and it was an old yard, and this guy used to do uh, house clearances. And, it, and, I, and I said to him, like, one day, I was like, I like hip-hop records. If you ever get records in, just call me and I'll come and buy them. And he'd give me, like, five for a quid. So, I just like my record collection is massive because this guy just used to give me all these records all the time. Amazing. Yeah.
0: So, then if there's not m- much, you know, opportunity for performance, <clears throat> or even, you know, as you were saying, even buying music yeah. in your hometown, were you travelling outside of town at a certain age? Did it get to the Yeah, point you where either
6: you were- went to London or Brighton, and, and, and Brighton was like 10 miles away from me, so that was the place you went, you know, there was like pretty like healthy music scene whatever you was into there was a scene for it you know what I mean if you was into reggae sound system clashes or jungle or hip-hop or acoustic kind of folk music and stuff like that you know there was there was there was loads of stuff to do so um it was just getting the balls to do it in the first place
0: so was there a point where you're just kind of building yourself up building yourself up I'm going to perform I'm going to perform yeah.
6: and you do it I went to this night they had a night called slip jam it was an open mic cypher night it was like open decks and 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 people would just get up and rap and freestyle and I think I went to that night probably 20 times before I performed cuz it was like I thought these guys were like you know so much better than I was that I was like if I they're just going to rip the piss out of me if I if I try and get up there and rap or sing or do whatever you know and, like, I'm, like, really good friends with all the guys now, like, you know, we've been friends for, like, ten years or whatever, because that's kind of where I started off. Um, but I, I just, you know, they remember me just being, like, like rigid and not, and not being able to get up, or even when I was, I would turn my back to the audience because I didn't want to look at people, so. No way. Yeah. So the, 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 your, like,
0: introduction to performing was, like, a... Love-hate affair, of like, yeah. I really want to be doing this, yeah. but I fucking hate this at the yeah. same time. Yeah, I felt wow. so,
6: so nervous about being on stage and, you know, being in front of people.
0: And is that something you still experience today?
6: I d- yeah, it's changed so much for me. I don't, I don't get nervous at all. Like, I don't have... Uh, the only thing I, I get is, like, a bit of, kind of, I want to do it now, <laughs> you know? Not, like, I hate the, kind of, hour before performing... Like, I want to do it now, but, no, that's it. I don't don't really get, like, mad nerves. Maybe, like, Glastonbury this year was a bit bit nervous, but there was 40,000 people or something there, so...
0: What time was your set?
6: It was, like, three in the afternoon on uh, Sunday.
0: Mate, every year I hear talk about... I lost
6: my mind there this
0: year. (laughs) I thought I wasn't going to get it back. (laughs) Yeah. I've been there for sure. Next up is Declan McKenna. Check this out. We were organizing today and I was kind of like, what works best for you? And you said, you gave me the option, either morning or evening, what kind of chat do you want to have,
6: which I like? Yeah,
0: it depends. Like, you know, a chat with a cup of tea,
9: a chat with a beer, very different chats. And you chose the right one. (laughs) <laughs> did I? Because I woke it? up late this morning. Imagine if I had to wake up any yeah. earlier. Was that it would a test? That, that would have been terrible. It would have been probably a good idea for me to try and
0: get into a normal routine like every other adult. So I would just love to hear the story of how it all came to be that we're sat here together now. It's kind of you well, you loosely. into my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but more, like, bigger than that, you... and. Knock me down if any of this is wrong. You entered a competition to play at Glastonbury 2015, <coughs> maybe? Yes, know.
9: yeah, I think that and was And at it. the end of
0: that, you met record labels as a result of
9: that? Uh, no, actually, that's Dex McKenna Misconception <laughs> number one. <laughs> 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 uh, so, I, in um, December, no, or late November, slash I think December we released the video in 2014, I, re- like, released Brazil, which i just made with a friend, and I made a music video with some friends and just put it out. Didn't have any backing or anything. Then sort of this... In January, I applied for this Glastonbury Three Talent competition, along with a, a load of other festivals, just trying to do whatever I could, cos I just liked doing And just doing... So does that... It, yeah.
0: Those competitions... Cos I wasn't aware of them. So if you enter and the winner gets the opportunity to play at the festival.
9: So, yeah, the, the Glastonbury one was essentially you applied online, loads of people applied online, they whittled it down, to a group who would play a battle of bands, and then the winner was chosen there. Um, but that was until April. I applied in January. Um, by like the end of January, February that year, I was kind of noticing like interest from like you know labels and managements and all those different sort of parts that I wasn't really aware of. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that was going to happen. I hadn't really didn't really understand what all the different sort of pieces to the puzzle were in terms of like. A career in (laughs) in like music, but I was kind of going along with it because I was like, well, this is kind of what I want to do, so I might as well. And so I had a load of meetings and and stuff around that period of time. And actually, the day before, so the Glasgow competition was on, I think, like the seventh of April or something. And I, I don't know, some point in April. And um, I like picked a manager out of all these like emailers. well, and I had a couple of meetings with different people, like, the day before the Gasby competition happened, and after that was kind of when I started whittling down what label I wanted to be, because there was a lot of different people talking to me I don't really know what to do, so I had, like, a manager there, and then kind of decided from there, but, um, yeah, I did the Glastonbury competition, I won that, and that sort of, I don't know, It it wasn't exactly like this massive thing like a lot of the time it gets written as like what i'm best known for but
0: it's not because no
9: one knew who i was then even even i guess everyone
0: needs a story and that's like a nice yeah
9: that's exactly what it is but um you know i got the chance to play glastonbury and it was like a nice little boost and it helped me um i guess move things along a little bit a little bit more but i was still had a lot of time to decide on like, the team I wanted around me and like, what I actually wanted to do with myself as an artist. Because I just put a song out like there's so much more behind everything.
0: I've crossed um, touring paths with Ellie Goulding many times in the past um, but often there's never enough time for a proper chat. Ever. There really isn't which is why I've loved doing this podcast, actually, because I get time to sit down. Yeah, it's all just a vanity project for me to sit down. Well, it kind of is. I just get to sit down with these amazing people. And I'd always been curious about the evolution of Ellie, the pop star, um, which began long, long, long before that first chart hit, you know. Listen to this, you'll see what I mean.
10: When I first started... Writing songs, um, I was I was at university in Kent. didn't didn't finish the course, but um, but I, you know it worked out all right. Yeah. Um, and I I would just be on MySpace, just contacting people to, to work with. Um, I and then then it kind of I would play f- songs on my guitar and write what I thought were folk songs because they were just on a guitar. But it turns out, you know, I had I I really was writing pop songs, and mm. um, they really came to to life when I met the collaborators.
0: So this, I really wanted to... I'm happy you touched on that, because my memory of first being aware of you, I don't know if it was a promotional video I saw, a photo or something I heard, but it was... In my head, it's an image of you with an acoustic guitar. Mm. And in my head, that's where you started. And then when when I was going back listening to everything, you've always had this electronic electronic element going on. And I don't know if I had... Forgotten that, I don't know what it was, but it was really amazing to hear. It's actually from the beginning. There's been some really, like, in the best way possible, fucked up production on your stuff. It's like it's <laughs> never, like, in a cool way. There's always yeah. playing around with vocals and deliberately making it sound non-organic at times. Yeah,
10: yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was obsessed with things like auto tune. Um, so it was a, it was a stylistic thing. Yeah. Um, but. I mean when you find out about my musical past which I'm sure you will then I mean it it will it will sort of give the game away as to why I have this you know complete um, opposite of guitar this folk thing I was always into folk music and then and then I I worked with a couple of producers early on who were electronic producers and it just absolutely captivated me Um, and you know and also uh, Bjork is my is my number one artist of all time so Hearing what she did the way that she sort of weaved electronic with with classical and with experimental and with choirs and that to me was just that that to me sounded like heaven and you know bjork it's it's a funny one because you know not not a single one of my friends can understand my love for her it's a, yeah, I think it's a when you find that person and find that um that, that sound that just, you know, that you have some kind of, that you connect with, that was that was her for me.
0: Mm. And, and do you, yeah. what, what kind of age were you when you first heard her?
10: Um, I was 15, I stumbled into my house, drunk, one, um, you know. Ellie. What did we, <laughs> well, it was that, it was that time where you would, Tell your parents that you, well, told my mum that I was, you know, going to stay at a friend's house (laughs) and you end up in a field with a bottle of vodka, a bottle of Smirnoff, whatever Mm. it was. Um, So that was one of those nights. And, um, gosh, remember when you didn't get hungover? I don't know, you're you're a bit younger than me, but these days I have, you know, proper two-day hangovers. Um, So those are the days where, yeah, hangovers didn't didn't exist yet. Um, And I remember walking into my house and um, I switched on the TV and uh, it was Björk maybe playing at... Royal Albert Hall maybe I can't remember the venue but and uh, she was stood there and I was thinking God what is this crap you know and then (laughs) and then all of a sudden it just she just had had a hold of me and Mm. you know since then I I I probably listen to her on a weekly Mm. weekly basis Um, every time you listen to her music there's something new and she does she composes everything herself and she produces herself and yeah, I was going to say she's she's un- she's you know underrated, but she's not underrated. She's definitely has her place yeah, in the yeah. music.
0: Yeah, I love that you can like recall that memories so clearly because everyone's got those moments. It's quite of rare. Like, I yeah. can't
10: recall that many memories at all. But okay. That's one of
0: them. That's one of <laughs> but them. But when it's the like standout moments of like when you fall in love with something or, and you go like, I remember that and yeah. I remember the feeling of it. Yeah, it's yeah, that excites me.
10: Yeah, me too.
0: Oh, man, that is exactly why I love doing what I do as well. I couldn't imagine a life without music. You know, uh, and I mean that. You know, I don't necessarily know what it means, but I know that I mean it. Okay, guys, I'm going to end this special compilation about starting out with someone I've got. I've long admired and um, was ridiculously excited about heading to her house in Canada. Back when back when you could travel, you know, back when that was a thing. We'll all get to do it again, you know, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, God, as if you've tuned into this for my predictions, of what's going to happen. I'm sure we'll get to travel again. And I'm sure we'll appreciate it that bit more. Shania Twain, she'd already lived a life before the rest of the world caught up. And had more than most to deal with, I think. And I don't think she would ever say as much. Um, but someone listening to her story, you know, it's obvious that she had a lot to deal with, you know, and I'm going to let her tell that story now.
11: When my parents died, I, I got a job through a friend at a very good paying stage production in Ontario, in Ontario still. But I'd never even pursued anything like that before because it wasn't about original music. I, was, I wanted to sing my own songs. I wanted to be a recording artist, not a...
0: And you get the job opportunity after the death of your parents. Yes. And just for listeners' sake, I think it's worth pointing out that both your parents died on the same night. It, right. Uh, you know, and yeah. so I can't imagine, you know, where you must have been. Is it? Were you the oldest child?
11: I was the second oldest. Okay. Yeah. And,
0: you know, already coming from a place where you were having to help the family to survive before that, Yeah, you know, I, I can't imagine what your thought would, process would have been at that point. And so t- taking that job at a kind of more, is it a th- more theatrical level? Is it just more of a secure job that you're looking for at that point?
11: Well, that type of performing Performing was a necessity for the pay. I would never have even considered pursuing a job like that, even though it paid better than what I was doing. It wasn't going to get me anywhere career-wise. I was focused on on developing myself, not having a job in music. Mm. So it was the opposite of what I had ever thought of pursuing, but it was going to pay the bills. Mm. And now I had three uh, minors with me. Well, my sister was younger; she was 18, but still living at home. So, how
0: old were you at the time?
11: I was 22. Okay. And my brothers were 13 and 14, so they all moved in with me, the three of them. And I moved; we moved just in another place in Ontario, where the show was. And it was more. I, in the end, uh, I learned so much. I was learning to. This sounds a bit ridiculous, but it was such a great preparation for me. I was learning to sing in high heel shoes, for example. This is nothing I would ever I was always you know, on stage in my bare feet or um, running shoes.
0: Yeah, and learning to walk in high heels is enough of a challenge, so I hear.
11: It is, so, but to get paid in this show, I was required to be able to walk, sing, and dance in high heel shoes. I was also required to wear makeup, which I I did not even know how to apply. I knew how to put mascara on, that was it. But I didn't know anything about foundation or anything like that, or lipstick. And so I had to learn how to glam myself up.
0: Did you enjoy the making yourself up?
11: I hated it. I hated the feel of foundation on my skin. Uh It was awful. It took an, it was an adjustment. I thought, this is just not serious. Mm. This is a spectacle. It's not, I'm not being a serious artist here. And I took myself quite seriously. I was a very dedicated, very focused, serious, no partying, none of of that, just focused on my skills, my vocals, my writing, all of that. So to be in this show where I was, you know, just shaking my booty, Basically, and trying to balance in high heel shoes, you know, wearing sequins and all this makeup and everything. And like, but I adjusted to that and thought, this is a stepping stone. I did think this, I admitted, I'm never going to need any of this glam stuff, but I got to do it to get paid. So I'll do it. I accept it. But what I did learn and thought valuable in the moment was that I was quite feminine that I could be quite feminine. I, cuz I was always very sporty and shy about my curves and the thing is when you're when you're out there looking like a beautiful woman and you're you're wearing things that flatter your curves and and you're in high heel shoes so everything is more is sexier and you've got big hair and you makeup and all of this and I felt that it was degrading. So in the beginning, I was embarrassed by it and thinking, this is, nobody's listening to me. They're just looking at me. I'm just, I'm just a Barbie doll up here. And I was, but I had to do it. Now I'm thinking, okay, I can be productive with this, with these skills. And by the time I got to making videos, which was really just, I went right from that show. I got signed to a label. Because at night, every night, I would go in and demo my my music. I would go and, like, kick into songwriting gear.
0: So here we go. So you're seeing this performance as a day-to-day make-ends-meet job. But the common thread in so many people that I talk to is that I was having to pursue something and then down tools, get home, travel to a studio or pick up the guitar and then pursue the thing I loved the most. The real dream. So you were doing that at night.
11: That's right. So I would do that till wee hours in the morning. And then I would have to get up and get the kids off to school. Um, We didn't have uh, a good heating system in our house, so I would have to, so I would put the fire on before bed. They would already be in bed. I would put the fire on before I went to bed, usually around 3 in the morning. It would go good for 4 hours, and then by by 7, I'd have to get up before them and, Put it on again or i wouldn't be able to get them out of bed because it would be too cold in the house fire up the wood stove uh which i collected all the wood myself and chopped it and all that i'm part lumberjack. you're
0: a superhero by the <laughs> oh, sounds yeah. of things
11: I, i'm yeah, not really i'm a jack of all trades for sure so okay get the kids up for school uh send them off uh go back for a nap or if there were rehearsals i'd go for rehearsals and do the show and that was every night of the week and then i would go to the studio demo And then those demos got me my my record deal in Nashville.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, guys, thank you so much for being here for this special episode of George Ezra and Friends. There's still a lot more to share though. So there will be another episode and I will see you there. I hope you're all keeping well. See you soon.